Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the Playlist Podcast. Welcome back. This is our second podcast of 2014. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan. And with me uh, via Skype today is Editor-in-Chief Rodrigo Perez and contributor Corey Everett. Both of them were our uh, writers on the ground at Sundance this year, and we're here to talk about the festival. Um, some of the films, but you know, other things going on at the festival and, and sort of looking at the festival as a whole. Uh, so I'm going to go to Rod first, and why don't you just give me your overall impressions uh, of this year's festival? I thought it was a good festival. I mean, it had some of its problems uh, in terms of the um, the curating of it. Um, but it's, um, you know, uh, you can't have the most amazing fest in every single year. I think it was slightly weaker than last. But, um, I've, you know, I and I did see my share of, like, um, I guess sort of quote-unquote Sundancey films. That sort of, I don't know if, if readers or anybody saw that um you know, Sundance cliche, um, uh, sort of mock you video thing that sort of lighthearted, uh, dig on Sundance or indie films. And, and I definitely saw my share of those, at least the less of the quirky kind of ones that people like to make fun of and more of the darker, depressing, miserablest ones. Mm. Um, but I still saw enough highlights that I, uh, really enjoyed myself and yeah, I, you know, it's, uh, I was having this conversation with someone else. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's still the, the most essential film festival in the United States. Um, Corey, how about you? Overall impressions? Uh, yeah, I, I had a great time. It was my fourth year going, and um, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe it's just something about sort of coming to peace with my expectations for the festival. And I, I've gotten into a thing where certain years I'll be surprised by stuff that you're sure when you're when you're there in the room is going to kind of have a bigger impact on you know a wider audience and then just it doesn't really go anywhere besides you know netflix streaming at the end of the day and it's it's always you know a little bit disappointing when you think back to some of the um movies over the years that have really made a splash you know sex lies and videotape or um you know th- things like that that really had a, a wider impact and just thinking that the movies in the past couple of years that I've been going, haven't really seemed to um, resonate in that way. And and yet, on the other hand, like I said, I, I maybe it's just adjusting my expectations and really just kind of enjoying, um, enjoying the little gems I can find, regardless of how they're going to end up, you know, playing when they reach reach a wider audience. Right, that's but- part of it, expectations. But it's also you got to remember just like the relative nature of, of films that in general, kind of like making a different impact uh, these days because it's just the way the industry has changed. And um, you know, Netflix and VOD is not the four letter word that it used to be. So uh, some of those films are going to be. You Drinking Buddies made like three million dollars on VOD. It was a really? huge success. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, like a huge, huge success. Um, not every one of these films is going to be that, but. Um, some of them are, and, um, you know, there's things that like the way, way back, which was a big, like, you know, sold for a lot of money, um, last year and kind of 
came and went and did nowhere. Went in, theatrically anyhow. Didn't really impact, didn't really catch on with audiences. But the inverse is always true. There's always something that makes a big splash and then doesn't get like a lot of attention once it hits theatrical. And then the reverse is true sometimes. I'm a little bit brain dead because from Sundance, but I I know that there's examples are out there. And I think well, um, I mean, some that, some that I'm thinking of from last year. You guys were both really really excited about Ain't Them Body Saints, David Lauer's film, and right, right. that's a film that I loved from from last year as well. But uh, at least uh, in, in Portland, it played in one theater for a week and just disappeared. And I always thought that was such a shame because it, it came at the end of the summer here. And I think, you know, generally that's when it was released. Seemed like a good time for a movie with some genre elements in it. Uh, a pretty strong, a really strong cast. And mm-hmm. for it to just sort of peter out like that, it uh, I just thought that was a shame. And um, I know, you know, both of you guys were so excited about that movie at the festival last year. I, I would say, uh, I guess my only argument against that is that, like, that happens to movies all the time, regardless whether it's Sundance or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's lots of movies. You Basically what you're saying, this connected with critics and didn't connect with audiences. Happens mm-hmm. all the time. Happens out of every single festival. Happens out of movies that don't come to festivals. Um, it's not that, you know what I mean? I don't think it's a Sundance specific thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm not sure how upstream, how did something like upstream color like fare when it, when it all was said and done, like it had a decent mm-hmm. theatrical run. In some I, I think for, yeah. I mean, considering he did it, um, yeah, himself. Yeah, I think it was definitely successful for him, but uh, it certainly didn't like move the needle in a huge way. I think it did maybe over a million or something. But for for in in that sense, like his for his scale, I think it did very well. Um, for those people who, I mean, you know, you always got to be buzz and uh, dollars don't equate the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've known that for a long time, and we know that critics freaking out about stuff i mean that's a perfect example of a film that like you know probably goes over a lot of audiences heads you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i know a lot of people in our comment section were always going like this movie's terrible why do you guys keep supporting it and it's like <laughs> it's like uh, there was this one guy who was always trying to saying like we were trying to make it happen it's like no one's trying to make anything happen the movie's either going to connect or it's not we just talk about the things that we like you know that's mm-hmm. what every site does um, we happened to like that one. We did interviews. We did reviews, things like that. But um, it didn't connect. And it's a shame, but it happens all the time. So I don't really uh, – and, and some of those films have longer lifespans. Sometimes they pick up later. They become cult classics down the road. I get this feeling uh, just – I've yet to go to a Sundance Film Festival. And I really – of course, it's it's something I would love to do. And I, But I get this feeling that even maybe in what might be a lesser year uh, that you guys are describing, it's still worth it to get out there. If for nothing else, you're going to probably at least find one, maybe a couple films that really resonate, that really do hit you um, despite how well they go on to do. Um, is, that, is that the case? I mean is the festival still um, important? It's still worth going to, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, and I actually maybe it was just a, a virtue of I I got to stay a little bit longer this year after my flight was canceled and ended up seeing more movies than I ever had. So I caught 22 in about six days, and maybe just because the sheer volume of what I saw, this might have been my favorite year yet. Because I would say about a dozen of those movies, that, like I feel really good about, you know, in the top five of which, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure I'll be I'll be talking about uh, later this year as well. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe just the, the breadth of kind of what I was able to see when I was there. I, I, I had a good year. Do you guys get the sense that it's – is it um, – I, I feel like any film festival you go to, sometimes there's that bubble you get into where you're surrounded by people that are all generally passionate about movies. And sometimes something you see might seem better 
in that festival, uh, you know, environment than if you were to revisit it later. Do you guys, does Sundance have that? It seems like Sundance could be even like a more extreme version of that. Um, I mean, every festival has that to a degree for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, South by Southwest certainly does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. South by Southwest is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit, uh, notorious for that, I think. Um, but every festival has that, especially when you're, um, uh, traveling in packs and comparing notes and excited together. Um, I don't really do that. I just sort of like run to screenings and I, I mean, I see Corey, um, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, um, I, I could see it happening with like, like pack mentality a little bit mm-hmm. because I know that happens. They, a lot of people travel in packs and I think your excitement for something probably only grow in a, in a post conversation with a lot of people. And I think the reverse is true as well. Your hatred for something. For me, it's funny. Cause I feel almost like the opposite ways. If you're at a premiere of a movie, I mean, if it's a second or third screening, it's a different thing, but if you're at the actual premiere, you're watching it and you are just a hundred percent sure of how you feel. And then it'll be funny sometimes afterwards to be thinking, Oh, that was great. Or, Oh, that was horrible. And <laughs> turn to the people next to you or Twitter or whatever, and see that everyone felt the opposite way. And, and you know, I don't think that really makes me question how I felt because I was so sure of it, but it's really the only time you can go into a movie and not have those expectations or uh, kind of buzz that you're going with or going against. Yeah, the, the um, thing that, that affects people. And that's where actually sometimes audiences, like, uh, they they get a little bit, I guess, annoyed because they still hear all this buzz and expect expectations will grow for them. And they'll be like, it wasn't that good. But Corey's right. You know, we sort of have the benefit of seeing a blank slate and uh, experience it. Like, you know, people will be excited for whatever degree, but, um, you know, you don't have a whole, like, it's not like six months later where you've heard all this noise about it, good or bad, and then you project that onto it when you see it. Um, and that can be, um, that's unfortunately part of the nature of things. You know, I think some audiences need to let that go, but it happens, so. Corey, I'm so excited that The Raid 2 was your favorite movie of the festival, by the way. <laughs> good yeah it was man what a fun time not as perfect i mean i still I, I think the first one i've seen it four or five times i oh, think yeah. it's pretty much a perfect movie and and such a anomaly of um uh just it's so compact and there's no extra anything it's just the bare the bare elements and this is a very very different sort of movie so it took me a while to wrap my head around that, but it's still got a lot of uh, great stuff in it. Did I? Is it two and a half hours? Did I? Did I read that right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I think just under two and a half hours. <laughs> all right, and uh, so how is it? How is it just different from the first film? I guess, if at all. <laughs> well, the first one, as I was saying, is a very um, unique movie in that it's a complete. Uh, completely contained environment. It's almost 90 minutes of wall-to-wall action broken into these little 10-minute sections so that you're never bored. So it's constantly escalating. It's constantly giving you just enough character and story to keep it moving, but never slowing down. So it's, it, like I said, it's pretty, pretty close to a perfect movie or at least perfect action movie for sure. Mm-hmm. And the new one is very different uh, intentionally. It's a sprawling crime epic it introduces a lot of new characters it uh it has a lot of locations it's um it's different in almost every way and part of the reason is that uh the director gareth evans had been trying to get this script made prior to making the raid and he couldn't get the money from anybody so basically after the raid was a hit and people were asking him what he wanted to do next he decided to dust off this script and kind of retrofit it into making it a sequel to the raid 
um, but basically keeping keeping the kind of bones of it intact. So um, so that's why it definitely has a different feeling. But I, I don't think that's um, necessarily uh, a, a bad thing at all. I think you know, like some of the best sequels, um, it 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 does a great job of expanding the world that was very narrow in the first one. And mm. here you're getting a much deeper sense of, of, you know, the corruption and, uh, uh, the, the kind of characters that, that inhabit this world. And, and the, uh, obviously the fight scenes are, uh, just crazy. And, and, and the, there's a chance on a bigger scale here to do more. So there's, you know, these car chases that are just really you've never seen anything like. And, uh, you know, people after the screening were saying, you know, this this guy, Gareth Evans, is probably, you know, one of, if not the you know best just straight action directors working today. And, and literally after every um, after every big fight sequence, the theater would applaud like they were watching a Broadway show and, and you know, big <laughs> musical number just finished, which is really just I mean, it's the ideal kind of way to see something like this. Yeah. So, well, I imagine, yeah. um, and and Rod has already mentioned that some of the films this year were, or maybe a, a, a number of them were real, like tough to sit through, kind of miserableless movies. You could label them. I mean, I imagine something like The Raid Two must just be a breath of fresh air. Like if you're kind of going through a lot of heavy drama, um, uh, it, it sounds like that might be the case. Yeah, I mean, it really Sundance. The slate is so diverse. It's kind of. Um, you can have whatever Sundance you want to have, I think, okay. because there's, there's, yeah. there's a lot of different sections and a lot going on. And and sure, there's probably strains of, of the sundance type movie, but I'll bet if you move to some of the other sections, you 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 could find some different stuff. Uh, you know, for example, if you stick to the midnight movies or, you know, the premieres or whatever, you're, you're going to get a range of, of stuff all over the board. Um, an, yeah. Another movie yeah. that that I had a lot of fun with was uh, The Guest. From, uh, oh yeah, from Adam, Adam, Wingard. Adam Wingard and, mm-hmm. and Simon Barrett, who just did uh, Your Next, which I actually wasn't crazy about, but ah. I had a ton of fun with this. And again, it's kind of what you think. Oh God, I wouldn't expect something you know this fun to be at Sundance, but really, that's kind of my own fault for not not d- digging into that section a little more. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I agree. You Sundance is what you make it. You can you could watch just only documentaries. You could watch tons. There's enough midnight stuff to just see things like that. There's uh, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's like fifty some films or something. It's pretty diverse slate. You could catch up on a whole bunch of 2014 stuff like Only Lovers Left Alive or mm-hmm. 2013 well, stuff that screened at festivals in 2013 like Lock, Only Lovers Left Alive, um, Ida, The Double, which I loved. Yeah, the Field in England. So yeah, there's lots of stuff. I and my experience isn't necessarily that, um, you know, because of uh, I'm sort of the head writer, I, I'm sort of obligated to see a lot of things that um, uh, the big stuff. Yeah. So that that kind of can that sort of taints my experience sometimes, too, because I'm a little bit uh, obligated to see that stuff and I don't necessarily want to. Right. Um, well, I'm going to get it. Uh, I think that's really interesting, Rod. Like what? Um, it's almost like uh, it's 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 very akin to there's movies that we know are coming out later in, in the year that we're already slating them as Oscar potential. And I wonder why there is this, how, where does this obligation spring from when most of us are going in very cold to these movies at, at Sundance where, well, I mean, it's you know pretty boring answer, but it's just that you know, <laughs> the, 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 the site, uh, you know, you want to get traffic for bigger things. You want to be there. You want to have reviews of that stuff. So you go see that stuff, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not always this, stuff that you think is going to be good so right is it but is that translating to general audiences are people lining up for those movies that say maybe a typical sundance movie that might have sort of like uh 
a lot of fairly popular, maybe comedic actors in dramatic roles, you know, that's one of those tropes you see, or it's got a certain sensibility. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know what? It's uh, ironically about all that, you know, I'm mentioning that I tried to go see big stuff. I actually ended up missing a lot of that stuff or, and, and, or I just sort of changed my mind at the last minute. Like, you know, skeleton twins that I think Corey saw was, you know, um, Kristen Wiig and, uh, Bill Hader. And, um, I, I don't even think it's a comedy, but I think it's the two of them in, in dramatic. And that felt like something that, I should see that was definitely one of those that like I should go see that and for whatever reason I missed it and I feel like there's a few of those like that that I actually ended up missing. Mm. I mean, and, and one of the things that's interesting that I've learned over the past couple of years of going is that, um, and it, it happens every year for the most part, which is that nobody knows anything. So when you're looking at the schedule going in, for the most part, I mean, the premiere is the big stuff, a most wanted man. You know, you you get this stuff that already kind of has its pedigree. You know, people want to see that. But as far as the competition stuff goes, the stuff that from, you know, generally first time filmmakers, second time filmmakers um, uh, coming out of nowhere is, you know, people will look at the schedule of 100 movies and start trying to hedge their bets. And you go, well, you know, Jason Schwartzman's in this one or Anne Hathaway or whatever. So you start thinking, well, maybe I should check that one out. And and what usually usually ends up happening is the, the movies that are most looked forward to prior to the festival are not the ones that people are really excited about after the festival. So, you know, something right. like Beast of the Southern Wild is a perfect example, which is I completely skipped over it when making my schedule. Um, but then that ends up kind of being the breakout of the fest. Right, right. And then, I mean, goes on to an insane level of success with like Oscar nominations and things like that. It's, uh, yeah, that's one of those crazy, crazy examples maybe rod you should talk about maybe a film or two that you uh you know that that's something that's worth bringing up you think uh, there's a bunch of things i saw that i liked but one that that is sort of a slow burner and keeps growing in my mind which i enjoyed quite a lot was kamiku the treasure hunter um with uh can someone pronounce her name because i don't want to mess Rin- it up rinko kikuchi thank you yep. um uh, it's basically just her uh, with, yeah, I mean, she's the only really quote unquote star. And um, it's this sort of like dark fable. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that was that was really great. Um, Kamiko, especially that that just the title and the little bit of description that to me sounds like it, it must have stood out because it it, um, it just seems so different compared to most of the type of films we assume that are going to be at Sundance or it is it it could not be described as a Sundancey film is that is that fair about that one uh, I think it probably can on the surface because it's it's uh, superficially super quirky mm. um, and it is kind of quirky but it also has a first of all quirky is not necessarily a four letter word like, like sentimental or like anything it, doesn't necessarily mean it's bad right so right um uh, it, anything can be done well right right uh, like any style any genre any 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 kind of movie or any kind of story so um it has some quirks but yeah it's really done well it's it's directed really well super well composed great act uh, performance by her terrific cinematography great mood yeah um and and it's not just a uh, it's it's funny because it's a it's kind of like two movies i don't want to spoil too much but it's two movies and one sort of like the beginning and then the, the journey of the, 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 of the hunt, I guess, or the voyage for this treasure. And, um, that it's almost like two different styles. So it's, um, it's quite a, quite a terrific little movie. Okay. Do you, do you want to say what it's about real quick? Just the one sentence, which is ba- it's kind of loosely based on that um, Go ahead. kind of urban, urban legend of the of girl who supposedly left Japan, uh, in search of the, uh, the money that was buried in the movie Fargo, which she, oh, because of yes. the, 
because of the uh, true story card at the front of the movie, which is obviously not not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, she went on this hunt for this money because she believed it was actually buried in uh, Minnesota. So that's kind of loosely what the movie is about. But it's more, like Rod said, kind of a weird uh, fairy tale, dark, kind of quirky. Alexander Payne came on as a producer so that you could mm. see what why he was attracted to that with a little bit of the kind of uh, just – deadpan offbeat and and like you said it was really yeah the, more, the humor um, the deadpan humor is very alexander Payne. yeah and she's great and and it was one of the more i wasn't familiar with the the zellner brothers who uh did the movie but it was one of the more like beautifully cinematic things that i saw at the festival oh very nice yeah i feel like that's another thing that must stand out at sundance because it, it a lot of films are dialogue based or small character based movies so um, it must be a real shot in the arm when you get something like Kamiko or something that really is cinematic. Um, are you guys seeing that, you know, in your couple years, uh, Corey, four years in the festival and Rod, is this your second year going to Sundance? Is that right? Yeah, it's my second year. Are you guys noticing, um, I guess, you know, just with the advent, there's new technology every year that's allowing filmmakers with a lower budget to produce something that looks grand and looks cinematic. Beast of the Southern Wild is a great example of something like that. Um, are you guys seeing that more and more at this festival that that is there to sort of breed great independent films? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, it is. I guess it is easier to make films these days, at least the technology. Um, but you know, getting a film made is and and uh, still isn't the easiest thing in the whole world. That's for sure. Right. I mean, but I guess I'm I'm just wondering, like, can you even can you even is it is it easy to find out why like you're at the festival you're on the ground you're seeing all these films is it does does anything emerge that you can see why a certain type of movie seems to go there all the time like there's a reason these clichés about the festival exist even to outsiders who have not been there you know yeah um, some of it is like uh stars you know films yeah. sometimes get accepted because they have like I saw I saw two movies one with Catherine Keener and one with Elle Fanning and John Hawks that I really didn't like. Um, I feel like they are they wallow in uh, miserableness, sort of depression, and a lot of things about Sundance that seem pretty cliche. And um, I almost don't want to be too mean about them. I mean, I guess I have been in my reviews, but um, it's like I don't know who they're for, and I don't know who's going to see them, and I don't know who's going to distribute them. Especially one of them, which I don't even want to mention but it's I like who is going to watch this movie who is going to enjoy this movie who's this movie for um but you know maybe other people like it so uh, all the more power to them well yeah there's a point especially when you're at a festival where it just gets relentless if you're seeing films that are yeah and and also like uh, let's be fair um i think my uh, maybe maybe my experience was tainted because I saw quite a few of those. Whereas I don't think Corey saw as many of those. So if he gets to one, maybe he's not going to be as, um, uh, I don't know, like worn down by them. Whereas I, I kind of was, you know, Mm -hmm. I think by the end, um, I was really getting kind of worn down by these sort of stories. They felt really familiar. They felt oppressive. Um, and, uh, they just had just wallowing, which uh, it was it was kind of a miserable experience for me. And 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 you know, just so uh, whatever, but just to to get ahead of the pass of the comments that I don't like depressing films. Like that's like <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Like like the one year when everybody hated, um, which everybody calls the miserablest film, um, a Bitiful, the one with uh, Javier uh, Bardem. That was my favorite movie of that year. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and everybody like that got roasted at Cannes, mm-hmm. and it um, it a lot of people said it was way too dark for their taste. So, you know, and it kind of just to me only proves that dark and miserable isn't necessarily bad. Like just like anything else, it's just it's depending on what the film and how the film is made and the filmmakers and et cetera. You know, right? And and the thing you still have to kind of admire the Sundance. Um, just the mission for is with, you know, the shrinking middle class at the multiplex, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, okay. So some of these are miserable and maybe some of them aren't very good, but at, at the end of the day, it's like Sundance is still the place that's, that's for movies about real people, which is becoming, you know, rarer and rarer on the uh, large scale. And because the kind of middle mid budget movies disappearing, you know, you're, you're going to have to kind of go to the, the smaller budget to find that stuff. And, um, you know, that they, are continuing to do that, I think is still, um, you know, increasingly admirable as, uh, the adult you, movie disappears. You nail it on the head and it's funny how it does tales with exactly with the economy, you know, mm-hmm. like their middle class is going away. You've got high and low or, or big and small kind of thing. And that's exactly what the, the, uh, the movie industry is. And yeah, and, yep. and Sundance caters to it. And, and yes, absolutely thumbs up for giving, uh, a space and time and, uh, you know, to, to human stories. Um, not all of them work, but hell yeah, we definitely want them and we appreciate them. Yeah. We need, sure. we need them for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. They're essential. Um, how about, uh, I'd just like to know a little bit, uh, what you guys think about Richard Linklater's film boyhood, because uh, just on uh, reading about it before it came to the festival, um, sounded like a classic Richard Linklater idea, taking the idea of, you know, literally showing you time passing, uh, for, uh, what was it? Twelve years he made this film with the same boy as he grew and using the actors. Um, uh, it sounds like it was worth the wait. Um, and did both of you see it, Corey? I know you saw it. Yeah, we both saw it. Um, talk about it a little bit, if uh, Corey, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Boyhood definitely one of my favorite uh, films at the festival. Um, for some reason, I it was different than I expected in, in a couple ways. One for, for whatever reason, I'd had more of a kind of the midsection of tree of life in my head. I don't know why, maybe just the one still of the kid kind of laying on the grass, looking up at the sky. I just kind of pictured something more like that, even though that's never been what (laughs) Richard Linklater does. So of course, as soon as I settled in, I realized, Oh, that's right. This is going to be a Richard Linklater movie, you know, and it, it, it made a lot more sense. I was also concerned because it was starting late. I was coming off like a five movie day and I was exhausted and, but I was just completely awake through the entire thing. And And the thing that, that also kind of surprised me is it's not um, so it, tra- it tracks this kid from from ages six to eighteen basically and um, two of the cool things it, it did one is it um, doesn't really doesn't really focus in on every big milestone like you think you think okay well we're going to see his first kiss and then we're going to see his first this and it, outside of a few maybe major events uh, it doesn't it focuses on kind of the smaller moments the in between moments that give you a real feeling of um, you know where he was at that point and and the other cool thing is there's no there's no title cards that say 2002 or it says eight years old it just moves seamlessly from one scene to the next so you just kind of notice oh he's bigger now his hair's different and you know that time has passed and and the only kind of thing that clues you into where you are other than you know roughly gauging you know uh his size and age is there's a bunch of music which is not cleared yet he said but you know that kind of identify you to oh Coldplay Yellow, you know, this was 2000 or the Phoenix album that was 2009. So if you kind of know your pop music, you can sort of figure out where you are in the story. And, um, and it's great. 
Yeah, not that not that you need it, but it kind of what it did for me is it really held up a mirror, not just to my childhood, but just to the last twelve years of my own life. And God, two you know, two thousand, two thousand one. That was so long ago. The <laughs> world was such a different place. You know, there were no iPhones, there's no Twitter, there were, you know, just like just the little things. Not that the movie focuses on those, but just that I found myself kind of thinking back to you know, where I was at this point in time and, and, and how much time has passed if this kid has gone from, you know, six to 18, you know, in, in the space of two and a half hours. And, and like I said, it, well, it doesn't really have any, um, it doesn't have any big gut punch moments along the way that, that really make you think, oh, that's the scene. But, but it, what it has instead is this cumulative effect of by the, by the last 30 minutes or so, you were just so invested and so, you kind of just don't want it to end. You almost wish that, like the before series, he'd kind of just take hmm. another, take make a sequel and 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 track you know this kid through his twenties, you know, till he gets to thirty and 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 so on. It just, um, yeah, there's just there's nothing like it. It's kind of a it's a it's a small epic. And so it sounds like the experiment was worth the wait for sure. For sure, <clears throat> Rod. Anything to add for the film? Um. No, I, I pretty much feel the same way. I feel my my uh, I I feel like my long tail uh, experience of it is a little muted in terms of my enthusiasm for it. Um, I think it's very good. I think it's very special. Um, it hasn't lingered with me like the way some of the other films have, and maybe because of the way what Corey says that um, uh, it doesn't have a lot of like uh, big emotional moments or. or or, or any kind of like, it is all about, you know, the small things building up cumulatively, as Corey said. But that said, when I was thinking about my review, like written like a day later, I almost started like just getting a little bit emotional thinking about it. Um, I, I think I might want to actually see it again because uh, it had been a long day. Uh, I saw it very, very near the end of the day and um, it was like almost three hours. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's really something, like as Corey said, uh, um, special, and, and and you haven't seen anything like it. And and I, I love the way that there were no titles and how it just sort of like I mean, you walk in one room and you walk out the next, and it's almost like two years has gone by, you know. And wow. you just sort of have to orient yourself to that. Right. Um, there's and 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 it's not like he's being tricky or anything. It's just it's a very fluid kind of editing where like you it might take you a second to go, oh oh, this is actually we're we're in another time period here and like some big things happen but it's it's kind of awesome how it just sort of like moves to different periods without having to explain oh what happened to that well you just figure out in that that they got divorced and that 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 problem that was happening there it pretty much spelled itself out you knew it was going to happen anyhow so um it's smart filmmaking in that way that doesn't have to spoon feed you in any way which i really appreciated Right. Yeah, it, it, it's very unassuming. You know, there's no yeah. pretension about uh, trying to make some grand statement. It really just is the accumulation of small moments. It's very Richard Linklater, and, and I think Rod and I both gave it in the strong B. So just to temper expectations, you know, words <laughs> coming out like masterpiece and all this and that. I mean, it's it's a it, everyone should see this movie, but you know, I'm not quite sure. You know, I don't want to set expectations higher than than they should be which is it's it's a must see but it's um at the same time i feel like people like i think Corey and i had this similar reaction to before midnight last year right and uh like we liked it a lot and thought it was terrific and and etc but i think the critical consensus maybe even the audience consensus was that it was like 
near masterpiece. So maybe that'll be the same again. Who knows? And, you know, great. I'm, I'm more than happy if people like completely connect to this film. I, I think that would be awesome and terrific. Well, and Linklater, sure. Linklater is one of those filmmakers that has been nurtured by the festival. You know, they've, they, with his, uh, I mean, Slacker's, it's his second feature technically, or I think he did a short before that, but Slacker mm-hmm. was, yeah, you know, premieres there and it, it, it becomes this thing. And he's had films throughout the, throughout the 30 years of Sundance. He's had films appear there. Um, so clearly the festival has done right by him and helped him throughout his career. Do you, do you guys think that, uh, Sundance now, 30 years on is, is still a place where that can happen. Is it, is it still happening? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's always, there's always new voices and new discoveries. And, uh, uh, how about, you know, here's an example. How about, um, uh, Alex Ross Perry who did uh, listen up Philip who, um, you know, people like the color wheel, but it's still, uh, it's still, uh, it's divisive for one. And I think a lot yeah. of, uh, uh, I, a lot of the non-professional actors that maybe it's maybe a bit of a deal breaker for some. And this to me is almost like his first film like this, like, it, I mean, it's not, this is, I guess his third, but like, uh, it's just like, you know, when you, ha- it's a perfect example of like what Corey and I have been discussing sort of the Joe Swanberg effect of once you put like real actors to, to, um, to sing your music, it, it really starts to really sing. You know what I mean? It's like it's almost like sheet music that I guess was always pretty good, but if you don't have players that aren't uh, uh, playing that music at a at a certain level, a certain quality, um, it's almost like you know uh, uh, Mozart is is obviously too uh, hyperbolic, but but a piece of music that's really great, and having the high school band play it versus a bunch of professional um, uh, orchestra musicians, you know, there's a one that the quality is completely different, you know, the nuance, the texture and everything. And, uh, uh, you see that in, uh, certainly in Joe Swanberg's new movies with, um, professional actors, uh, uh, in them. And I think the same thing happens with listen up Philip, which like, uh, you know, the guy's obviously a very, uh, unique, uh, strong, distinctive writer, but man, with like people like Jonathan Price and Jason Schwartzman and Elizabeth Moss, uh, playing those instruments, it's like, man does that movie ever sing you know um how about i mean it sounds like lynn shelton is uh would maybe be another example of that she's starting to get uh you know more well-known actors in her films yeah um, yeah that's true that's true as well i mean i still find her i, I kind of love lynn um but she still hasn't made the 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 the, the masterpiece or, or the super solid terrific movie that she keeps hinting at. Mm. Um, but she's, I think she's definitely on her way and I had problems with laggies. Um, it's fine. It's a, it's a cute little comedy, but it has some, it's maybe a little bit more broader and mainstream than, uh, what she normally does. And I know that they're not, that there's necessarily wrong with that, but, um, I don't think it completely worked for me. Okay. She, she also did mention that it's the first film of hers that she didn't write. So I think it was an intentional kind of stepping out of her comfort zone and trying on something different. And as, I mean, as a director, I think she handled it really well, but yeah, I think the problems mostly lie with the, the script on that one. Okay. Um, I want to go to Corey first. Is there uh, maybe one, maybe you have more than one, uh, just a, a discovery this year, like an example of one of those films. Maybe it's a film, maybe it's an actor or a filmmaker that you came away thinking like, I had no idea anything about this person or this film. And um, it's something that you're going to be following from now on. <laughs> oh man, just one. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have just one. Uh, the one movie that we, uh, me and Rod both felt this way about and haven't really talked about yet is uh, Frank. Yes. Okay. Um, 
which is just its own unique beast. It is so on its own wavelength um, <laughs> that I have no idea how uh, a larger audience is going to respond to it. But um, so it's if you're not familiar, it's basically the movie where Michael Fassbender wears a giant paper mache head for the entire movie, <laughs> and he plays this kind of tortured, you know, musical genius in this weird. Uh, avant-garde like noise rock band and um uh the actor uh who was in um about time what's his name oh uh, domnell domnell gleason gleason yeah brendan gleason's son so he plays this kind of uh nebbish normal guy uh aspiring musician and he ends up um getting recruited by this band after their keyboard player leaves to fill in on keyboards. And so he kind of gets swept away into their own weird world where they're playing shows and recording. And um, the synopsis does not really do it justice to how uh, (laughs) kind of weird and and off the wall it is. Rod, do you want to add some stuff to that? Um, Yeah. I mean, that's another one. Like, you know, like people might say, God, that sounds like such a quirky off the wall, perfectly Sundance film. And one, I don't know, maybe it is. B, two, who cares? Like, it's awesome. It's like, it, and, and it's kind of not. It's just like, it's really, really terrific. It's a, it's a awesome little look at uh, artistic collaboration and outsiders and misfits and fitting in and not fitting in dreams. There's also like this really kind of awesome uh, examination of like, uh, sort of like the realization of, of, of um, your artistic merit. And and uh, I, I don't even want to get spoil it too much, but just like how I don't know, there's a little bit of poisoning the well, if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, this this guy is uh, is not necessarily the best thing for this band ultimately, and and uh, it's also quite moving sometimes. Uh, it's very very funny. It's very deadpan. I was hysterically laughing throughout, um, but the last half gets dark. And and uh, I think some surprisingly thought, poignant. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people especially. thought it lost its focus a little bit, but I think the darkness in in the last act is uh, is what makes it special. Ultimately, otherwise, you've just got like, um, you know, just funny stuff that that is still pretty good. But uh, I think the 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 ending is kind of essential to tying it all together. Okay. Okay. Yeah, um, it feels like it'll be at least a cult movie for anyone who's ever been in a band, especially, you know, a young, noisy band will uh, definitely find a lot to relate to. Yeah, here. it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a look at almost outsider art and outsider rock or something, you know what I mean? Like like this this band is kind of the equivalent of like the Velvet Underground, um, uh, you know, 40 years later who never, you know, obviously everyone loves them now, but they didn't get a second of attention during the day and, um, and they were geniuses and it's kind of almost a similar kind of trajectory mm-hmm. and great music. Yeah. Fantastic music. Like I can't wait to get on that soundtrack. <laughs> Very nice. Um, well, I, I, I mentioned earlier that this was the, this was the 30th uh, anniversary for Sundance and, uh, I think it's worth just looking at some of the films that have lasted and actually have become, you know, I think it's fair to say some of them are certified classics now with, you know, with time passing, that's usually the best way to decide if something is a classic. Um, is it, you know, beyond getting into the individual films, cause we have written a feature about, uh, is it uh, 25 films that really like have lasted from Sundance? Uh, you can find it on the site, but wh- what is the festival, um, 
what is it like now and moving forward? Like, where do you guys see Sundance? Do you think it's always going to be a staple? It's going to, can it remain the most important American film festival moving forward? I don't see why not. I mean, maybe calling it the most important American film festival is uh, uh, lofty or something, but I mean, what else do we have really? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's held that you know, for, like, for the 30 years, like, essentially. Like TIFF is, is, is North American. It's Canadian, you know, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's bigger, but I would argue it's, I think in many ways, TIFF is not as good because it's so star focused. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, but anyhow, that's how I feel about it. And Telluride's great, but it's a smaller festival. Um, it's only like four days and, uh, the, it's, uh, it's a lot smaller and there's only like three or four premieres. So, um, does, yeah. t- does Telluride or something like South by Southwest, does anything like that even have, like, would it even have an opportunity to surpass something like Sundance? It, it seems like they're all kind of okay. You know, each festival is settled in its little niche and what it provides, but yeah, exactly. I, I don't think either of them, those two in particular would probably be, I guess the two biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we, we couldn't, shouldn't count out the New York film festival, which is very good. Um, all three of those, uh, I mean, there's also the virtue that Sundance is at the beginning of the year. It's in January yeah. and it's the first major big festival of the year. And so they, you know, and, uh, everyone programs the, the indie titles that are, um, gonna hopefully come out later that year, so they get the jump on everybody. So that's part of it too, right? Yeah, I think the only way for someone else to really surpass Sundance is Sundance would really, really have to drop the ball because right now they're they're every independent filmmaker's first choice. So everybody wants Sundance. So unless they took a real left turn and started, you know, turning down a lot of great stuff, um, I, I'm not sure how they would they would lose it. And I, I remember reading yeah. a lot of stuff in the maybe earlier or mid 2000s about how maybe Sundance was starting to slip a little bit or be a little too star focused and Paris Hilton and this and that. But I, I, I haven't really experienced that in, in the last four years of going there. So maybe whatever um, ground they, they started to lose, I, I think they've become pretty focused again. And um, like I said, I've, I've been happy every year. Well, and maybe that gets at what you guys were saying earlier about you met your, your Sundance is whatever you make of it. Like you can have a completely different Sundance than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people where celebrities are going to parties and all that stuff. But if you're there for the films, it, it, it sounds like you can, st- you'll still be served well uh, if you're there. And yeah. The breadth, the breadth of it is, is what makes it unique too, because uh, even though South by Southwest maybe ha- maybe has some of the same, I don't know if it has the same volume, but it's probably kind of close. But like you know, Tribeca and, and New York Film Festival and Telluride don't, so it's like you that that you can make it your own festival doesn't necessarily apply to those movie those festivals because um, they don't have the same breadth of material. You know, um, they're smaller. They don't have uh, I don't know how many films are at Sundance, but it feels like it's at least over fifty. Um, uh, and, and just by, by virtue of them getting first, they get all the, 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 the big things. So people like Tribeca and South by are, are, are left to play catch up. And, um, um, you know, then they, then they have to do things like it's same thing. Like, uh, what happens with cans, you know, then the, like Telluride and TIFF and New York film festival, they, they program some of those greatest hits from those festivals. And that's sort of like, because can is the, the, you know, the biggest uh, international uh, festival that, that, uh, that filmmakers save their stuff for. So in a way you're sold, you're uh, all the other festivals are somewhat beholden to what happens there. And then that sort of affects the rest of their year. What's it like being at the festival? I'm <laughs> just like generally, I, I mean, you guys are seeing films almost the whole time. Uh, but what's, what's the experience like? 
Um, it's exhausting. Because <laughs> it, I, I guess prior to going to Sundance, I mean, I think since then I've been to a few other like TIFF um, kind of round the clock festivals. But it, it, things like um, New York Film Fest or Tribeca, they don't really have that same atmosphere where the really the entire town is taken over. There's movies starting at 830 in the morning and there's midnight movies and you can just see, you know, four or five a day if you have the stamina. Um so if you've never been to a film festival like it, you probably can't imagine why, you know, sitting inside and watching movies all day would be exhausting. And yet somehow it is, you know, just kind of <laughs> dashing around, trying to, you know, hop on the shuttle, get to the next venue. And you, you think sometimes you have, you know, two or three spare hours to kill between movies. Uh, and it just disappears so much quicker. Just kind of getting around, uh, trying to stay fed a little bit, you know, doing some writing. And uh, getting to the next movie, um, but it's it's you know it it's thrilling, it's great, it's um, it's fun just kind of not knowing, not knowing walking into every single thing for you know five or six days, however long you're there, um, you know what you're going to walk out thinking about it. It's um, yeah, it's great. Festivals are also what you make it because I know a few uh, uh, New York critics that I've been friends that I'm not going to name, but will be like, I don't go to Sundance. It's full of douchebags and things like that. And, uh, you know, and I don't have that experience because I watch movies. And if there's douchebags in those theaters, I don't know. Um, I don't go to parties. I don't, um, yeah. I don't have time to socialize. Uh, I, my experience is exhausting. I see f- at least four movies a day. And I write and I eat and I sleep and I get up and I do it all over again and I leave and I do anything else. So um, because I can't, I don't, just don't have time for it. Um, so if certain festivals are – and that's my experience for every festival. So if certain festivals are full of great people or horrible people or mediocre people or so-so people, I never notice because I'm watching movies. And I'm digesting movies and I'm writing about movies. So that's my experience. Telluride is a little bit different because uh, Telluride is uh, is much slower pace. Um, there's uh, less films playing. There's uh, there's a lot of films that have played already that you've probably already seen. Um, so there's less running around. And actually, that's why to me it's actually my favorite. It's very lovely. You do have time to sort of like um, – you can you can be very diligent and still have some time to yourself um, and to see people. Uh, so I quite like that. Um, it, it's a it's also just has a a nice relaxed environment because of the pace is much different. Whereas Sundance is uh, so many films and you have so little time that at least for me um, I uh, eat sleep watch repeat. That's it. There's nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think I'd probably have more fun if I could, you know, just shed a movie or two a day and, and go to a party in four years. I've still never been to a Sundance party, but it's always that thing where, you know, I, it was even on my way to one last year and just thought I would rather sleep right now because I'm so exhausted or I'd rather go to a movie because I don't want to maybe miss the thing that I, you know, might love the most. So it's just kind of that. I think if I was there for the whole 10 days, it would be a little more relaxed. But if you're going yeah, for, you know, yeah. a long a long weekend you kind of just have to go unless you're okay with, you know, maybe missing out on, on the best stuff. Yeah. I, I, I'm the, I feel the same way. It's like, maybe if I was there for like 10 days or something, I'd have more time, but like, uh, here's the thing. What would I rather, um, uh, you know, see a movie that I'm, if I don't see it now, I may not see it for eight months and I'm excited about it or, uh, you know, party with people who I could party with in New York. Like I, that's the, 
uh, that's maybe my just thing, but I, you know, uh, I would rather party when I'm not working. You know what right, I mean? Right. Make it about the films. That's that seems that seems smart. But but sure. hey, you know what? It's an industry, and and uh, that stuff is part of it. There's certainly I'm not necessarily knocking it because uh, there's a lot of networking that's important for uh, a lot of people. Not necessarily writers, although that is important too. But um, you know, certainly the filmmakers, distributors, and things like that. That's a part of that game, and that has to be done. Um, it's it's not just necessarily a party. It's networking. It's connecting. It's things like that. That's very important to 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 that part of the industry. It's just not something that I necessarily need to do, and I would rather see a movie. So right with other writers i imagine it, it feels like if you go to sundance you're gonna see like everybody else from every other site i mean is that is that what it's like <clears throat> yeah i guess pretty much yeah it's it's packed full i mean i just i guess what i'm getting at is i wonder like how many just normal quote-unquote normal people are just going there to see movies um or is it just overrun with media and industry people um all the time well it's in you know it's in park city it's right. in utah so uh, I would assume that the people who like movies and um, uh, of that of those towns of those nearby towns uh, go see stuff. But yeah, I think it's definitely probably overrun by uh, most of the industry. But can you blame them? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're an industry person in any uh, shape, whether it's a distributor or a writer or, you know, a producer or this or that, like, why wouldn't you want to go there? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. so it's probably overrun. And I know some, I've heard some grumblings that people say that, oh man, this festival used to just be like, uh, you know, people watching movies, but now it's overrun by industry. But, uh, I don't know. It's overrun by industry, but they're still seeing movies. Everybody does. Sure. Some industry people are maybe not as great and walk out and on their phones or something like that. But, I don't mean you didn't hear anything about that this year, right? You haven't heard any. No, there was there was no story about the guy who called the police. So I, <laughs> I, I would assume uh, uh, it, that makes it somewhat better. Mm-hmm. Um, how about uh, like uh, sales this year? I mean, Sundance is another thing. Uh, it seems to be a, a, a launching pad for films to get distributed the rest of the year. Um, usually there's almost always a, a, a giant sale last year. The way, way back was the big one. Uh, as Rod mentioned, uh, doesn't seem like anything really popped like that this year. Um, any, AM? maybe that, uh, Manola Dargis story resonated with <laughs> distributors. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and that definitely hit before it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, um, sales have definitely, uh, well, I mean, there's been a lot of sales, but I don't think there have been a lot of those big, like $6 million sale type thing. And that's probably better for everybody. It's right. really better for those companies who spend that amount of, amount of money and usually don't see that kind of return. Um, yeah, I think it places weird and strange expectations, and um, it's probably better for everybody if everyone takes a more modest approach. Right. I, think. I mean, yeah, it seemed um, like there was a time where things were getting out of control, and these like bidding wars would happen, and it's like they paid how much for you know this movie, and it never seems to make sense by the time most of those movies make it to uh, you know. Yeah, and 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 the scale of things has changed. You know, obviously the landscape is very very different. Um, it, you know, like there can be, uh, you know, three million made for drinking buddies on VOD, which is fantastic. But that means you don't want to spend 
three million on it to buy it. You know, you <laughs> want to you want to have something more uh, uh, relative. And uh, the industry is changing, so yeah, I guess I'm not surprised in some ways. I mean, uh, you know, Frank was picked up by Magnolia. Um, I'm not in their pretty smaller company. That means that movie is going to be on VOD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're also a terrific company, and you know, they're they're great for for. Uh, you know, cinephiles and people like us and people who read the site. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I'm sure that's the the right um, the company who believes that they can do the right thing and get it into the right hands on the right audience. So, I'm sure that's the, the right move. You know, mm-hmm. um, if it went to <laughs> Universal Pictures, it would be a waste of time, and it would be a waste for Universal. You know, yeah, um, it would be lost, and uh, they'd spend money, and then they'd lose money, and then they get angry and then they would never think about that again and and, you know what i mean you gotta you gotta place things in in put them in the right hands right it sounds like uh sundance remains relevant uh as a film festival and you guys had another good year um and it seems like you'll continue to to go back every year is that fair pretty much i think (laughs) (laughs) uh maybe (laughs) oh Corey, you are feeling the the exhaustion if I can, if I can, yeah, I'd like to go back. I think on Monday we'll probably be doing some sort of uh, big recap of our favorite films and that sort of thing. Um, for those who don't necessarily um, pay attention to the festival all the way through and kind of want to hear more about the highlights, definitely know some audiences are like that. Mm-hmm. I think on Sunday or on Monday we'll have uh, um, a sort of like a recap of, of its greatest hits and that kind of so that okay. would be worth checking out for people who weren't following digi- uh, diligently throughout. Right. Absolutely. Check that out. Uh, look for it on Monday and uh, get you all your Sundance. Uh, I mean, you've got all the reviews that were written by Rod, Corey, and even a few, uh, plenty of other writers on the site and some that uh, just stepped up and helped while they were at the festival. So, tons- you know, I think by the time all is said and done, because there's, there's even more festivals, or sorry, more reviews coming in. We're going to have over 40. I think we're going to have over 45 reviews. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, if you need to get your fix and wonder about just about all the major films that were at the festival, um, that's where you got to go. Check out the playlist on IndieWire. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think with that, we can wrap it up. I feel like we've got a good uh, sense of what this year's festival was like from you guys. And I want to have mercy on both of you, so maybe you can get rested up and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Yeah, um, hopefully we're to uh, – uh, tired and, and exhausted here although i think you can feel it from both of us a little bit <laughs> it, yeah. it it gives me the sense of what it's like to be at the festival which is what i wanted to get so. we're spiritually broken eric <laughs> <laughs> you guys are you are broken men rest yes. <laughs> well you can look forward to that if you ever go to a sundance film festival uh listeners you will be you'll be broken in more ways than one but uh it's all worth it it's all <laughs> worth it um well yeah so i want to thank uh Thank Rodrigo Perez for coming on uh, and Corey Everett. Um, you guys did great work as usual um, covering the festivals. And like we said, there's tons more to find out about Sundance at, uh, at the playlist on IndieWire and uh, look forward to more of these podcasts coming again and uh, take it easy. You guys. Yeah. Take it easy. Uh, and lots more reviews and interviews coming uh, next week. Cause at- there's still lots to go. <laughs> <laughs> it never ends. No. All right. Okay. Later guys. Thanks. Later. Bye.